When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm a big fan of this film. I think it looks great. I think it sounds great. Fox and Cruise are just really great. They just act off each other really well. It's an amazing film. Anytime that Cruise and Fox are together in the cab, it's a five-star film for me. Tom Cruise has got like a bit of a an overblown Boy Scout who does in really impressive stunts sort of <laughs> image in his movies, but this was the peak of his awesomeness for me. I don't think he's ever been cooler. Everything about it is 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 flawless. Even the things you could take issue with, I just think no movie does it better. I'd probably say that this is my favourite Michael Mann film. But yeah, if you've never ever seen it, then what are you doing? Watch it now. Hey everybody, and welcome to this episode of Flixwater Podcast. Today I'm joined by Simon. Hello, sorry, I was drinking a beer. <laughs> yeah, Simon. Yeah. David. Hi, man. Helen. Hello. And we're going to be talking about Collateral, the one film. Is the one film where Tom Cruise is the bad guy? Uh, I think so. Maybe. You could definitely argue that... Interview with the Vampire. Interview with the Vampire. His character from Magnolia is a bit of a shit. So, you know, like, it, it, whether or not you believe he's redeemable is questionable. But yeah, this is his out-and-out villain role, for sure. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, thanks for joining us today. Joining us remotely today, we have David and Simon. If you could please say hello and tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Hi guys, um, this is David Trumbull. I've been a political cartoonist and illustrator, but uh, most recently I've been a story artist for animated features. Uh, my most recent credits include Henry Selleck's first stop motion movie since Coraline, Wendell and Wild, being produced uh, a Netflix animation with uh, Jordan Peele and Keegan-Michael Key. Netflix, um, you say? Netflix, indeed, <laughs> which is why I'm particularly excited to be on this podcast. It's like, yeah, I, I actually have more than a tangential connection. Um, yeah. And currently I'm working on uh, multiple projects uh, in the Dahl universe, the Roald Dahl adaptations that Netflix are, are scaring up over, over there in the Big Tent. If you are um, looking for me on podcasts, uh, I've been a regular guest on shows that are connected with Flix Watchers, such as Sudden Double Deep, Spotlight, yep. Yep. Um, and other podcasts like Easy Riders Raging Podcast, Spielberg Pod, yep. Bygones, and recently Caged In. They're not joined us yet, but they no, will. They're welcome. Bring them on. They have said. Yeah, All part of the gaggling group. Yes. It is, yeah. London podcast people generally. Um, who are you on the other side of the of the, of the the screen? I'm Simon Williams. <laughs> um, my CV is not nearly as uh, impressive as that. I have very little connection to the film industry, except that I uh, and a friend of mine run the Big About film quiz. You're going to need a Big About down in London, well, various venues. And um, we've been doing that for about, I think we just had our 16th birthday. Whoa. So I think we're all, we're slightly vaguely connected through that. Uh, otherwise, in my day job, I work in uh, medical communications. So that can be quite, quite heavy going. So it's nice to, uh, to have the quiz uh, to fall back on. Although obviously, because of COVID, we are currently on a bit of a hiatus. And I think our regular listeners would certainly have heard us talking about a big about film quiz, uh, not least because this is where Helen and I met uh, under the auspices of uh, Shabbos Rollers, which is helmed by by 
by Ben Dads, who brought it all together under under Twitter helm. And um, so, and all the podcasts that they've mentioned before, Sun Double Deep, Easy Rider Raising Podcast, um, and Spotlight, they all are represented at uh, Bigger Book Film Quiz. So mm. there is there is a lot of connection to films. And also, we we know a lot of the, you, know, you get a lot of film journalists, like the guys from Empire and BBC and stuff like that. So you get you have your fans there. In the film industry, tangentially. Yeah, we we have yeah we have quite a few. I think the the Empire guys now have not been for a while. They're they're too famous. They just get too much hassle. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've had a we've had a few with uh, real celebs. Um, Little Finger from uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, uh, amazing. Aidan Gillen. <laughs> very same. That was that's quite a few uh, years ago now. Charlie Higson. This was when we we started off at the Boogaloo in Highgate. Yeah. Um, it's a very trendy pub. Probably a bit too trendy for us. Um, that's my local kind now, of, actually. Is it? It is. It is. Can you come yeah. back? Oh, say hi to <laughs> say hi to Jerry from us. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great pub. Um, it used to be my local too, but obviously I've moved up north now. Um, Enfield. <laughs> oh, I see. It's a London joke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Simon, you uh, you say it's not particularly uh, like as impressive, but like I will tell you that um, your 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 quiz has passed into legend for me uh, all the way over here in America. Like all of my mates and my brother uh, speak volumes about it. So the only reason why I've never showed up at the bigger boat is just because I'm in Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> well, otherwise I'd it, totally be there. It's not a good enough excuse. We had a team from ILM came to our quiz <laughs> once. Holy um, shit. You, you may not believe this. this. Yeah, this was this was several years back, but they were apparently they were doing something in Scotland. They came down to London to do our quiz, the Boogaloo. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. No, we did. We we get some pretty good coverage over the years. Um, did I mention Charlie Higson? That was another celeb. Yeah, the, the uh, from the show. Yeah, but otherwise, you're good sales. Well, um, it's it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I, mean, I do miss the the quiz and all things to do with films that aren't just on Netflix because I'm looking forward to cinemas. As we record this, the cinemas come back um, in just over 10 days in the UK and um, I cannot cannot wait. Yeah, uh, but I feel in- like I want to cry just even hearing that. <laughs> Rub yourself against the seats, luxurious seats. Is that, I didn't use, I don't know, you do the cinema. That's not why, that's not my jam there. I don't yeah, know. I, got, I, got, I got thrown out of my local for that. <laughs> Um, anyway, talking about films, we're here to talk about Collateral, which is your choice, David. Uh, can you tell us why you chose Collateral and give us a synopsis in less than one minute? Okay, so Collateral is just your quintessential page-turning film set in one night. I'm a big fan of those types of movies, uh, directed in 2004 by Michael Mann. It sees this lowly taxi driver, Max, portrayed by Jamie Foxx. He picks up a fair, which is Tom Cruise uh, with a Richard Gere salt and pepper beard, Vincent dressed uh, like he came out of Michael Mann's heat. Uh, he, he offers him a lot of money to take him to five different stops over the night, and uh, it becomes very clear uh, on the first ride that uh, Vincent is a hitman picking off witnesses uh, on a list, and uh, it just becomes a cat-and-mouse game, uh, a battle of wits between these two guys as they drive around Los Angeles. And so I kind of felt like choosing this because the other episode we're going to do, not to give anything away, is is another action movie. And I felt like these two movies exist on either end of the spectrum of of what an action movie can be, but both in awesome, legitimate ways. Um, I remember watching this uh, when it first came out. I was in film school and it just hit me at like the exact perfect moment in my life. I was a film student. I desperately wanted to like be in, 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 you know, engrossed in cinema. And there was a period like, in the years following where it just lived rent-free in my head <laughs> just because of the way it was filmed, uh, because of Tom Cruise's performance. Um, the use of DV, uh, like HD, uh, digital, uh, to, to record video, Los Angeles, yeah. just it, mm. it just wowed me because uh, as a film student, it, it suddenly, despite being this massive budget movie with a really bankable star, it was this movie where it, filmmaking felt democratized to me because I could grab a, a, a digital film camera and go run out into the night and film in a real location. So it just in, inspired me. Uh, it, it, it chimed with other movies I'd seen shot on digital around that time, like Chelsea Walls by Ethan Hawke. And uh, it definitely informed quite a few of the short films I made in film school and beyond. So I hadn't watched it in many years. And when I saw that it was on Netflix, it just really climbed up the list really quickly. Of like, oh, I really want to see if this movie still stands up. So you've only seen it once? Oh no, I've seen it. I wore the DVD out when I first, I just haven't watched it in probably 10 years. So That's what it's kind of those... happens though, isn't it? You just kind of, 
it just it just like lose touch with the DVD and it's like oh it's, I don't have access to the cinema. I mean, you know, back back in the day where you bought a DVD, you watched all the extras, you listened to the commentary. Like there used to be a real tradition to you know a ritual to to watching DVDs, and now because of the way movies stream, it's like that's all been lost. And there was a particular like trepidation going back to it because you know you see a movie that you absolutely love and you you, you become obsessed with every single little detail about it, and then it disappears from your life for a very long time. And so when I was revisiting it, I was like, God, I really hope that it's as good as I remember it. Like maybe it's aged, you know, differently or, or I've changed or something. So it was very interesting, but that's, that was why I picked it. Simon, where are you with uh, Clatchel? Love it. Uh, seen it several times. I was uh, so happy when, you know, I was told this was the choice of film. Um, I'm pretty sure I saw it at the cinema. And I think, well, I mean, we'll get into this, but I think the small screen, it, it almost benefits um, from that kind of that that graininess, you know that that DV now that's that's. Some people say it's not aged very well. I think it still looks wonderful. Mm. Um, it's you know you you called it a you call it a quintessential one night movie. It's a quintessential LA movie. Yeah. Um, the way they just roam back and forth across LA. I mean, you know, Michael Mann is obviously famous for the way he films cities at night. Mm. Um, it's a beautiful film. It's you know for a film that sums up a city, it's also it, it's quite focused as well quite a small small group of characters that all they come together in a very natural way as well as it there's not I've, uh, we'll talk about it in a bit but there's lesser films would rely on you know coincidences and contrivances but the way they deal with those the reasons these characters come into each other's orbits is is just very well done mm. uh you know massive tom cruise fan watching this film again just cemented that for me mm. i don't th- I, I don't think he's ever been cooler in this movie i mean and like tom cruise has got like a bit of a an overblown boy scout who does in really impressive stunts sort of mm-hmm. image in his movies but this was him like probably like the peak of his awesomeness for me like was this just... this is before he went he dialed it to 11 with the mission impossible films wasn't it because he's he was kind yeah. of this is kind of stage where he doubled his doubled his toe into trying to make uh awards worthy films but they just didn't resonate and he just kind of went fuck it I'm just it was around the time he grew the crazy. beard for last samurai and everyone was like will yeah. they give tom cruise a beard uh oscar you know an oscar just for having a beard you know what i mean and, and then like, once no. that nonsense was over with he really you know stayed true to himself and went full mission impossible well let's we'll, we'll dive into tom cruise in a bit i'm sure and the rest of the cast uh, helen uh i know you're a fan of collateral is it because purely because of your one man who you mentioned in every single episode, who in this case has a, has a ponytail, the uh, Ruffalo. I mean, Mark Ruffalo is excellent in it, but um, <laughs> there are many other things uh, which have already been mentioned. Um, I'm a big fan of this film. I think it looks great. I think it sounds great. Fox and Cruise are just really great. They just act off each other really well. I love Tom Cruise's suit in this. I just think it's an amazing film and really enjoyed watching it again and yeah there's just something about it it's kind of like a weird period in tom cruise where he was just kind of like making really really interesting films and doing something a little bit different and it kind of made me a little bit nostalgic for for that tom cruise um but yeah no i I really enjoyed revisiting it and had originally seen it in the cinema and i think i must have seen it maybe once or twice after that but i hadn't seen it for a, a very very long time so um a very welcome return to it for me yeah i can understand why this is a lot of people's favorite film for tom cruise for me he's always just a very you know is a stable actor but the thing that sets him apart generally for me is how he interacts with the, the, the whole production and people he's got his kind of weird personal problems but people who work on the films and all absolutely love working with him because he works so hard he's amiable every single time i've heard a story about tom cruise um I, I was speaking to a friend who um, works at Pitch House Central Cinema and Tom Cruise came in and he shook every single person's hand who worked at the cinema and said, hi, I'm Tom Cruise, as if like, you don't know who he is. You work in the cinema, you don't know who Tom Cruise is, but he's that kind of, but smaller people give you the short, you know, the, the short shrift and it's things like that which make him a movie star of over and above his acting. And I think his acting in this is probably, is probably the best. Um, it's super dialed down and subtle his Mm. voice is really low he's very focused and he i think to chime off of what you guys are saying like he he comes across as a very generous actor because like he's playing the villain to jamie fox and jamie Mm. fox is delivering a star making turn so it's great to see like an actor of cruz's mega wattage like really letting fox like 
owned the, the stage for so much of the film. It's really genuinely a two-hander. It's not just like one star propping yeah. up the whole film. It's it's a star and a star in the wings. And uh, it's funny because there is a lot of ridiculous around Tom Cruise. Like there's a lot of furore <laughs> around him. I mean, my my uh, family over here is Jewish. And um, so uh, I, I think my favorite Tom Cruise interaction I ever had with them was like, I just mentioned Tom Cruise to one of my uh, girlfriend's Jewish friends and she just went, oh, Meshuggah. And like, and like, that's, that's all you need to know about him. He's a little crazy, but like so far, like that's, that's just created really, really entertaining cinema. And he's just relentlessly entertaining because he's so consistent in his, in his intention to entertain you. And, yeah, yeah. and as far as that's concerned on, on the mainstream stage, there's probably very few people who can, who can boast that, that many results. I was going to say to me, he's like, he's, he's the last of the kind of the A, A-list stars. The, the sort of person whose name above the title is enough. You know, now they, they, we're in the era of the franchise and no no actor is bigger than the franchise that they star and they can be replaced. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Tom Cruise, you know, the, the days of you know Willis, Stallone and Schwarzenegger is gone. But, you know, Cruise is probably the last holdout of that old-fashioned movie star. And what you're saying about his professionalism, he just you just know he brings his A-game every time. Sorry, it's a bit of a cliche. He takes it very seriously. <laughs> you know, and... Yeah, he'll go. He'll go to where people are hanging out outside the premieres, and he'll, you see him, and he just systematically goes through, and it will shake every person's hand. And it will be late into the film. I'm sure I've heard about premieres that have been delayed because Cruz is outside shaking every single person's hand who's been waiting mm. there for hours. Um, yeah, massive fan. Yeah, he's really, he's, he's got a lot of menschiness to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> to use another another Jewish phrase, yeah, it doesn't, and it doesn't seem contrived as well because it's easy to fall on that side. You think, oh, you just you're a bit of a tryhard. I think it does come naturally to him, and I think he just does work really hard. But I think for me, I, you know, when I saw this, I've only seen this twice now. But I, for me, it's like Jamie Foxx came out. Of this I was like, who the fuck is this guy? He's brilliant. And then I see him in Ray. So he's got the musical chops. He's got the comic comedic chops. Um, for me, he's, he's he's a more interesting actor than Tom Cruise. But still, you know, there's reasons why Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise. Well, I think it's telling that Jamie Foxx's character Max. Um, Jamie Foxx is an obviously incredibly charismatic, handsome, funny, well-built gentleman, mm. but he manages to convince you that he's this taxi driver who is stuck <laughs> in this rut and and has never been able to get his business off the ground and is a is a loser, frankly. Who keeps his biggest achievement is that he keeps his cab clean. And Tom Cruise, conversely, like you know, I don't buy Tom Cruise as a working man in War of the Worlds, for example, because he's Tom Cruise. The moment the aliens attack, he goes into fucking Ethan Hunt running mode and T one thousands his way down the street. It's like I wouldn't have bought Tom Cruise in the max role i only buy tom cruise as vincent because to play vincent you need an icon because he is just mm-hmm. he's just when it gets to the, the the last act where he's just like the velociraptor from jurassic park mm. stalking jada pinkett smith <laughs> like you need an actor of his that's a nice of his, analogy that actually, yeah, yeah. Like, you need an actor of his like uh stature to 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 allow a character like max and jamie fox to rise up against him mm. you know it's a genuine threat and think, that I makes think- it a real treat cinematically it's, it's a shame in a lot, a lot of people who review this film, they, they do focus on Cruz for obvious reasons. And it's a bit of a novelty that he's, a, he's an out-and-out bad guy. But I think there's a risk that you kind of miss the, the subtlety of the... Hey, Fox is the one that develops through the film. He has the mm. arc. And, you know, mm. he almost absorbs some of Vincent's badassness, the, you know, the great scene in the club where he just suddenly... He goes in there, he's stuttering, and he's about to get shot. And then mm. he just suddenly becomes Vincent and he just channels him so beautifully. And then he just swaggers out at the club. Manages and- to intimidate Javier <laughs> Bardem. Like, that's yeah. no mean feat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's kind of interesting. You're right, because, like, um, Tom Cruise's role is obviously a lot more uh, still and focused than Fox's arc. But, like, Cruise's character is, like, Vincent is, like, slowly fragmenting, like, subtly as the story mm. goes along. And and he lets a little bit of vulnerability out only for it to completely go back inside himself by the end. And it's kind of like a fascinating reverse Stockholm syndrome where like the kidnapper starts to assume a relationship with the person he's kidnapped. You know, the person he's holding at gunpoint. He starts to like think that him and Jamie Foxx are friends, you know, and, and then mm. feels genuinely wounded when Foxx, you know, crashes the car and, and then he goes you full on inside about them. the, the, um, the monster. Helen, like, do you talk about a few of the other So yeah, it's very subtle work this. from Cruise. Well, the the, uh, but the Fox one I always forget is Jason Statham at the start, which yeah. uh, apparent, apparently people like to say he's um, Frank from Crank. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, because he's kind of like uncredited, but 
you know, that's his his kind of character. And just to say, apparently Russell Crowe and Adam Sandler were originally sort of in line to play these characters. So we could have been having mm. a very, very different conversation. Um, glad what, we're sorry, not. in line to play who? Um, the Vincent. So and, I believe yes. Crowe was going to be okay. Vincent and Adam Sandler was going to be Max. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Glad that didn't just, happen. Just, just remember, in those days, Russell Crowe was a lot more slim, slimline. <laughs> and, and obviously, Sandler proved with stuff like Uncut Gems that he can he can turn in a brilliant performance. If he had played like his character from Punch Drunk Love, like the, the stuttering guy with a little bit of darkness in him, maybe it would have worked. But I think it's interesting what you just said because, like, the thing that stood out to most of me on this rewatch is I understand a little bit about the history of how the movie was made, which is that obviously it's from a script by I think Stuart Beatty. Um, he was seventeen then went, when he wrote it. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. Mad. He wrote it like, wow. and 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 it's fascinating because BT, you know, his 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 filmography since then has been pretty checkered. Like, I think he directed I Frankenstein and stuff. And 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 like uh, looking at the script, uh, I know that Michael Mann heavily rewrote an awful lot of it because he he comes in with this incredibly disciplined, like research based sort of like approach where whereby he you know fleshes out each of the characters gives them backstories and works with them religiously with the cast and so this time more than any other time i was aware of like the two screenplays within the movie jostling for attention because there's a version of steve uh, of, of Stuart Beatty's script which feels like if it had been directed by anybody else like say yeah. if tony scott had directed this with john travolta was actually in line to play vincent at one point if if you had seen a john travolta denzel washington led Tony Scott version of Collateral, it would have been just fine. Like it would have been like maybe a three star or something. Like it, like it you would can have been see a lot this of people's favorite films. If oh, a, I don't know about yeah, that. Exactly. If a lot of workmen, <laughs> been very loud. Uh, yeah. I can see yeah. it being very very loud. It it would have still been one of my favorite films. <laughs> no, I mean like <laughs> hey, I, I I love a Tony Scott movie, but like it would have felt a bit like taking a Pelham one two three. It would have had like nothing to fault its style or its craft, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't have reached like the the the, the transcendence. The man does. And so uh, watching this movie again, like I saw moments in the script where, I mean, Simon mentioned that like, you know, uh, other movies rely on a lot more contrivances. It's actually really fascinating how many contrivances Collateral gets away with because of its incredible style. Because think about it. If your entire third act hinges upon the biggest coincidence in the world, which is that Jada Pinkett Smith and Tom Cruise got into the same cab, you know, the, the, the fact that Max realizes the final hit on Vincent's list is the lawyer who just gave him her number, you know, like mm. that, like in any movie that could break the audience's suspension of disbelief. And so um, you'd think that they would play it a little safer with other contrivances in the story, but like, there's actually a lot of things that happen in the plot that, that feel a bit like they stretch credulity. Like when you go to the hospital to, to see Max's mother, um, Mark Ruffalo gets in the elevator with them and it's just like this random moment where he could, like he doesn't realise that he's got the people that he's tracking in the elevator with him and then he leaves. Mm. And then a bunch of the other things that like, you know, when I think about if it had been made as by a different director, you would have bought some of the more contrived things as being like, oh, it's just a silly action movie. Like, you know, for example, like I don't know if I would believe that Max would leave his mother in a hospital room with a guy who he literally just saw kill three people in front of him, you know? And and then things like the idea that a high powered lawyer would give her number to a cabbie, you know, like who as, as charming as Jamie Foxx is, you know what I mean? He's a very good cabbie. He's a very good cabbie, but it's like you- it, it speaks a lot to just how classy and excellently produced this movie is. That it kind of papers over all these things that in another movie I would have been like bullshit. But See, but because you're so carried along by it, it just immerses you, and you kind of just let it all slide. I, I buy the card giving. <laughs> I buy it. Like, yeah, Jamie Fox is hot. Yeah, I you will know, defer he to you. I will defer to you on that for sure. <laughs> I, w- I want to take exception to the idea that it papers over. I, I think it puts in the work. I mean, the, yeah, you know, the, ma- the main coincidence that you mentioned about them both getting in the same cab, mm. that was in my head actually when I started the film. And it had been a while since I'd watched it, but I have watched it several times before. And I was thinking that is, I mean, it's ridiculous. That What are the chances? Mm. But they, they set it up absolutely perfectly. It's completely mm-hmm. feasible. Well, he's scoping v- out the Vincent, building, isn't he? Yeah. He's already in the same building. He's just dropped. And not only, he doesn't just get in the cab, he almost doesn't get in the cab because... It's brilliant, yeah. Because Max is, well, he's doing something else. Is he looking at his brochure or something? Or he's looking mm. at his, his post. Or he's like still dazed with the fact that he just got Jada Pinkett Smith's number. Well, yeah, that as well. <laughs> yeah, that exactly. as well. So he, he actually walks away and he's about to get in another cab. And then mm. he goes, like, oh, no, 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 come yeah. back. And it's yeah, like that kind of sliding doors moment where just think how his night could have gone if he'd have let, let him go. 
and also there's that double take as they're as they're crossing on the elevators on the escalators where you kind of you, the camera catches crews look at her but doesn't notice it so i think it does do the as, as Simon said, it puts the work in it, to make yeah, the payoff. It sort of rests just on the right side of yeah. so strange and, that it could have happened. And I think yeah. that's why the, f- the first time you watch this, you're like, when you, when you find out that's where it's going, you're like, holy fuck. That's, yeah, I can. And you do the kind of usual suspects uh, Kobayashi thing to, mm. like, you do all the working out to go back to that point. You're like, yeah, it does work. It's fine. I mean, yeah. It make, all makes sense. And that's I mean, where, like that's even where Ruffalo being at the hospital, from. he would go to the morgue to find out if the person, his his uh, his informant that went missing, turned up in the morgue. Yeah, like that—that that is mean, actually be, be, a logical be, reason why he would be there. Yeah. It's just—it's it, just in another movie it would have felt contrived, but in this movie it, it just—you just buy it because, like you that's, said, they did the work. Yeah, that, that I would say that's more of a contrivance because there must be so many hospitals in LA, mm. and those bodies mm. could have gone to any of those hospitals and just happens to go to the same one. But, that, yeah. but I actually made a note of that. I, I love the moment. That's the point at which the story about this huge city suddenly coalesces around these three people who were in the lift at that one moment. Yeah. Um, and it, and then, yeah, nothing really happens then. And then they, they, they don't come back later until the, is it, do they interact before the club? Um, no, I think Ruffalo's character is interesting because he basically occupies a role that is kind of a, 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 a staple of action movies. It's kind of the, the Scatman covers in The Shining, uh, Richard Farnsworth in Misery, like the, the, the cop who senses what the real story is and then mm. arrives to be like a decoy savior just before the third act and then gets blown away. So That's it's like, such a great occup- analogy. Yeah. yeah, it's brilliant. He, he occupies this wonderful sort of like role of like this little, uh, olive branch of hope that Max will Max's nightmare yeah. will end and then Max has this sort of like deja vu moment of having to get forced back into the taxi with Cruz and you know the way the Cruz just pulls him in is like come on let's go let's go as if like he <laughs> thinks he's done him a massive favour yeah um, yeah he, th- he thinks he, he thinks he's doing his a favour isn't he he thinks he's saving him from him it's yeah. it's a great it's a great shock moment that and and I love the ups and downs of Cruz Cruz's behaviour where at one point you're almost on his side Mm. You know, he's kind of he went the bit, the brilliant bit where he um, pretends to be a district attorney mm. and he has yeah. a go at the guy's dispatcher and just, yeah, like, exactly. just he, absolutely he, massacres him. He helps out Max, but the, but then you and he saves they, Max in in the uh, uh, in the Fever nightclub as well. There's that mm-hmm. moment where he where he kills uh, Felix's own men, the men who hired yeah. him to save Max from a bullet, and then he gives Max this really like hurt look of like. Like, like, damn you! I don't know how to quit you, Max. It's like it's, it's very much like a, a, a like a twisted love story in Vincent's head. Yeah. You could read it as a love story with a tragic end. I, t- I, t- I tell you what, there was one aspect of it that I hadn't remembered from my previous watching, and it was it was the little the story that Mark Ruffalo um, is he Fanning? I can't remember what he's called. Fanning, um, yeah, yeah. He mentions about an, a, another story about a cab driver who mm-hmm. was accused of murders. I could, that had completely gone out of my brain, and so you realise you for all the cool stuff that Tom Cruise does and where he, he saves saves him in the alleyway and shoots those three guys. Mm. And at the back of your mind, you're thinking, he's going to kill him at the end of this night. That's yeah. his plan. Even though we think he's helping him and he's giving him confidence. And then we know he's still going to, you know, he's still going to tie off those loose ends at the end. Well, you do see him wrestling with that potentiality. Like when he kills Daniel, the jazz man, uh, which is just an incredible scene you know yep. one of the virtues of a movie that's set over one night Michael Mann said that he loves uh the fact that the script felt like the third act of a big movie you know it was like he, he Michael Mann does a lot of sprawling epics and and this was like such a focused film as you say Simon like uh that you get to spend a lot of time with these character beats you know longer scenes than you might get away with in another film you know and so so you get these little subtle moments of like uh cracks in Cruz's cold exterior like you can tell that Vincent loved jazz as a child. You know, Cruz and Mann came up with this whole backstory about it being his link to his abusive father. And and so then, you know, as he goes along, he starts to identify Max as being, like, on his team. And so you get the feeling that his plan is to kill him, but that he actually is almost, like, talking himself out of it as he goes along. It's like, mm. it's someone who's so close to a nervous breakdown and they just don't know it which is mm. fascinating to see in Cruz's face because he manages to look both blank and completely like incapable of emotion. And yet there's so much emotion in him. Before we head to the scores then, do you think, um, and this is an open question for anyone then, had had it gone to plan for Vincent's character, would Max have ended up just dead at yes. the end of it? <laughs> yes, I think Thanks. so. I think so. I think it's, yeah, it's it's definitely one of those like uh, plots where where if you think about it, um, 
cruises like the shark from Jaws, but it's like if the shark from Jaws developed a conscience halfway through. <laughs> and, um, and, and I said that he was a bit like the Velociraptor at the end, but that's because he's been so like weirdly hurt by Max's betrayal, in, in quotation marks, it's kind of weird. that he's it's gone like back inside himself. It's a false betrayal, isn't it? Because he's like, oh, man, I'm going to kill this guy anyway, but he's like, oh, he's making it so much... Oh. I, I, I think he'd kill him, but I think he'd feel really bad about it. Yeah. I think I think you'd have to kill him because he knows this guy, much. Max, 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 yeah, he knows everything. <laughs> so what happened? Well, I picked him up. Um, he, he got off this plane and he, then I was, I was there, I was there outside a building. A man fell onto my cab. Hmm. Um, he, he dispatched him this way. He'd be able to like lay it, lay out. So in no uncertain terms, he could identify. Met the crime boss, yeah. Felix, who's in charge of everything. Yeah. Well, there's he knows that, too there's much. That, yeah. There's that brilliant moment after the guy, after the first victim's fallen on the car. I'm not sure this is the moment. And he says, just take the car. Just, I, I, I promise I won't say anything. He goes, what, you promise? Yeah. And he gives him that little glimmer of hope. And he's like, get in the fucking car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the other thing we haven't mentioned yet, which is that it's actually, my, it's definitely Michael Mann's funniest film. It's got a lot of wit in it and mm. a, a, a lot of levity. Potentially um, Tom Cruise's funniest film. Probably is, you know. I mean, like, you know, I think I personally find Frank T.J. Mackey hilarious as as much as he is shocking. But yeah, Cruz has, Cruz has got a, a natural knack for humour, but him and Fox together, it's like jazz watching them. Uh, should we head to the scores, guys? Hello, folks. I'm Sam. And I'm Martin. And every week for the last five years, we've got together to talk about the musician Tom Waits. He's a gravelly voice singer that sounded like he doused his vocal cords in bourbon and set fire to them with a cigarette <laughs> and wrote such classic songs as Way Down in the Hole, Downtown Train, Jersey Girl. Uh, he's also the gravelly voiced actor from films such as The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Seven Psychopaths, both of which coincidentally are on Netflix and both of which Kobe and Helen have discussed here on Flix Watcher. So make sure you check those episodes out. And when you have a little bit of a taste for the magic that is Tom Waits, why not head over to songbysongpodcast.com or search for Song by Song in your podcatcher of choice to listen to a little bit more about Tom Waits. Welcome to the Flixwatcher scores. All of our scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we will start with you, please, David, with your recommendability. Um, I think it should be no surprise to anyone. This is a five for me, for no other reason that I have recommended this movie to pretty much anyone who will listen, just like, especially when it first came out. But like, you know, even now I would consider like looking at it from a storyboard artist's eye now that I've worked animation, like I, I was a little bit more aware of some of the story uh, contrivances this time, but it, it really doesn't matter just because this is my cinematic sweet spot, you know, real locations, really, really in-depth character scenes. I love heightened movies that are really authentically made and tactile, but they're still genre pieces because genre is where some of the most exciting, you know, cinematic moments can can come out of. And, you know, there are just moments where the style and performances reach this sort of transcendence and it just carries you along the score. The fact that, like, it's tried to say, but L.A. is a character in this movie. You know, it's it's... it's the the way it was filmed was really revolutionary. Like, you know, shows like 24 had already shot on digital at night, mm. but like there was something revelatory about watching a movie that big with that big a star shot on that medium and being like, holy shit, it's as cinematic as anything. And anytime that Cruz and Fox are together in the cab, it's a five-star film for me. You know, I mean, we mentioned how, you know, Ruffalo is a real chameleon, you know, especially around that time before he became synonymous with like the Hulk and stuff. But like... In theory, you could cut out all the fanning and the cops and the feds scenes and shoot it entirely from Max's perspective and you still wouldn't be lost because whenever Max figures something out, it still makes sense. So you could do a 90 minutes or less podcast of like a shorter version of this movie and you wouldn't necessarily lose anything. But just I think, the, still, I think that, that rug pull though is still yeah. one of the one of the best parts of the of the film. It uh-huh. is. Like, exactly. It's one of those things where like you end up with this as as Simon put it, like this this global view of the city, and then it becomes about just these two men uh, with Ruffalo as the wild card in there. So yeah, like I, it's a five. So, I mean, like it's, it's five. <laughs> everything about it is 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 flawless. Even the things you could take issue with, I just think no movie does it better. Simon, yeah, easy for me. It's another five. Um, it's a, I mean, it's an art house action movie. Um, it's yeah, Michael Mann doing what he does best. Cities at night, people moving around them. You know, you've got the core characters, you've got these random interactions, just the like the, the wild nature of the city as well. The bit where he screams for help, he's handcuffed to the 
to the uh, the steering wheel and those guys yeah. just see him and you see them like predators moving around <laughs> and, they, and then they realize they meet a bigger predator and oh, tom yeah. cruise just that does that ultimate there are, there are videos on youtube de- uh, like hey, dedicated <laughs> dedicated to the way tom cruise quick draws and kills those guys Isn't before it they can even blink in like academies like actually real police officers have used that video as evidence of how to pull your gun and shoot it, it someone it may well be it may well be i mean i think I, I, as i was watching it i was thinking he's pro- i think i agree with you that this is probably the coolest he's ever been jack reacher is maybe a close second mm. the you know when people joke about tom cruise's um limited stature it, that goes out the window because you believe he he can take these people. I mean, it's a bit different in this. He, he does a bit of hand to hand stuff, but you know he's he's quick on the draw. He's, he's a great shot. You can believe he would you know mm. cut a sway through the city if he had to. Mm. Um, so yeah, easy five for me. Helen, uh, I'm also going to join the five party. I um, I watched Heat recently and I was a little bit disappointed. I did not have the rip roaring time that I seem to remember. So I was a little bit apprehensive watching this, thinking, oh no. Is it going to be as good as it is? And it, it, I still really enjoy this. And I'd probably say that this is my favourite Michael Mann film by a lot. Mm. But yeah, if you've never, ever seen it, then what are you doing? Watch it now. I don't think I would have given uh, Heat or a lot of other Michael Mann, like The Inside. I, would, I don't think I would have given those movies a five on recommendability because some of them are really dense and hard to have like a jumping on point. Whereas mm. Collateral is like lean and, mm. and, and totally like all killer, no filler. I think you guys convinced me here to go for five. I wasn't going to go for five, but I think I'm gonna I'm gonna drop in there. I'm gonna drop in there because um, it's, it's it flows nicely. It's easy to watch, um, and the two stars, like I say, whether you know, whether you're a fan of Tom Cruise or not, you can't deny the presence he has in this. And for me, the breakout being um, Jamie Foxx in this for me, uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, Repeat viewing score, um, David. I um, compared to other Michael Mann movies, I gave this like probably like a four point nine. I think, I think that um, the best the best way I could could describe it to people when it comes to how how easy it is to to, to watch and rewatch, it's like that line Max says about Island Limos. To me, the movie is more than just a ride. It's like a club experience, cool groove. <laughs> you don't want it to end. It's like a movie that like because it's just these two heavy hitters in a cab driving mm. and because the because the the plot is so linear it's like okay who the hell are you at math i have five hits we've got to go one two three four five you just go from one set piece to the next you can rewatch this movie so easily and and hell you could you could go into it halfway through and not get lost because you, you know they're just in a car going on this linear journey to the end so yeah um i'd say repeat viewing scores is 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 immense because i used to rewatch this movie like on the reg and now that I've watched it again, I, I can see why. Simon? I'm going to go for another five. I've, I've watched this several times. I enjoyed it this time. I would say at least maybe the eighth time I've seen it. I enjoyed it just as much as, as I did the first time. It's it's a two-hour film. It feels like a 90-minute film. Um, it's just so slick. You know, it, it, the, if I had any criticism, it's maybe the fact that it, it turns into a, a slasher movie at the end. But I like slasher movies, so that's why it does why the it's panic room thing. It does the panic room thing where you know you have all the Fincher amazing shots, and then it's just people scrambling for a gun at the end. You yeah, know? and you don't yeah, know who you don't know who got shot in that it, in that it's, final. It's, specific, it's specifically the moment where he jumps on the train, mm. and you see it, you see the train heading off with him on the back. It is he's like yeah, proper. He's, he's the stalker killer. You almost <laughs> want the the Velociraptor breath to to hit the glass of the train <laughs> before yeah. he uses the door. Let's just hope Tom Cruise doesn't figure out how to open doors. <laughs> I wanted him to pop out a talon from his from his feet and from his shoes go tuk, tuk, tuk on the. Uh... <laughs> well, it's interesting because it, you mentioned that ending. The ending is really it is like a, a a thriller. Like they lose the cab. It's like at the end of Speed when they lose the bus, and it's like okay, where's Speed got to go now that the bus is gone? And once you leave the cab, it's like okay, it's gonna it's gonna become a more standard thriller. But because Michael Mann is so detailed. And, um, and 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 he makes every one of Vincent's actions while he's stalking them really, really legitimately clever. Like mm. Cruz dims all the lights. He walks into this room. There's those incredible shots of just him walking to this darkened office like a like a spectre. And then he quietens down to hear just the ambient noise of the room, so he can pick up where where Jada Pinkett Smith is like creeping. And then like even jumping onto the train, you see him 
you never lose what Vincent's thought process is. Even when he's on the train, he gets off to point his gun at where he knows they are just to see if they're going to get off the train. And then yeah, he, I thought that, that every, for me is like the, the biggest heart stopping bit in the uh, film. Is it's the, done with yeah. the precision of a soldier, you know, an ex special forces guy, you know, it's the reaction of Jada Pinkett and, and, and Max at the same time, they know what he's doing. And he, he looks through, he's like, Oh, for fuck. There's mm. no, and already you can see the calculations in the head, every mm. single stop. Yeah. So it is a standard ending, but thing. it's just, just so well done. So it, uh, it makes up for it. Helen, repeat being score. I'm going to give it a four. I think this is the second time I've watched it this year, which probably probably quite high for this. Um, I don't think I'll be returning to it many more times this year. Um, even with it being an hour and 59 minutes, it's it's it doesn't quite feel like that. And I think it is just because the, the bits in the taxi and the kind of time between the first few kills is so short that it is just bam, bam, bam. And you're... You're you're in there and you're in that taxi and you're just like who's going to die next basically, um, so yeah I'm going to go for a four on repeat viewing. Uh, I'm going to go for two point five. This is the second time I've seen it ever, um, and I remember thinking I was I love it when there's a there's a good couple of rug pulls and then the not a twist but the the turn up at the end where he's got to go back and save Jada Pinkett because that's who that's who Vincent's after. Um, once, once those were seed, you know, once those kind of seeded in my brain from the start of the film, it takes away the the fun for me. So I think you know, after I can't remember when I watched it the first time, but you know, a good ten or so years later, it was it was good to get back to it uh, again. Uh, so yeah, two point five, small screen score, David. Okay, so this one I did go down to a four um, for maybe unexpected <laughs> reasons, which is like, okay, so yeah, it is shot on digital. Um, digital's now become all like all the rage. Like now, now it's a standard thing to film nighttime scenes with digital because you know you can pick up so much lower light levels. Yeah. You know, a, a shot that pans from like like that pulls focus from Tom Cruise's close up to Jamie Fox in the parking lot down below. Like you could never achieve that on film, and so at the time it was revolutionary. And uh, so, yeah, this movie, you could watch this movie on your phone. In fact, I think Queeby, before it died, you know, invested a lot of money in like uh, one of those series that was like a page turner series, which I think also revolved around like a, like a, a, like a passenger from hell kind of action movie that just unfolds a bit like Collateral. And I feel like you could, in theory, watch Collateral like that. However, I'm going to give it a four because I don't want it to be watched on those smaller screens. I think it's a shame to think, oh, because it's because it, it's nece- not necessarily like an IMAX movie that you shouldn't enjoy it in the cinema. In the cinema, it was one of the most immersive, amazing experiences I've ever had watching a movie. So, uh, you know, it's... I mean, and just to be clear, when we yeah. talk about small screen, we talk about the home viewing experience. Mm-hmm. So... People go. Well, I've got a seventy. I've got a seventy-inch TV at home. It's still small screen compared to. Yeah. You know, that's how you watch Netflix is yeah. at home. Um, but yeah, it makes time. for a good home viewing experience. But I just, I wish it could be enjoyed more in in, in like a, on the biggest screen you can, and yeah. and it shouldn't be just because it's in, in I don't know digital. The, and and just because it's early digital, it still feels really cinematic to me. Simon, well, I'm going to make working out this average very easy because I'm going to go five. <laughs> um i i've seen this i've seen this in the cinema i've seen this on tvs of increasing size over the years and i and i watched it this time on the laptop um and i loved it equally each time i mean obviously you've got you know you've got the, the big michael mann helicopter shots over la that looked epic at the cinema but to me it's it does it doesn't lose anything on the small screen at all mm. uh, helen so I don't know whether it's just our extended break from not having cinemas for over a year now, but I was feeling particularly nostalgic for wanting to watch this again at the cinema. That said, I did enjoy the two rewatches at home. Uh, I think <laughs> maybe more for me is there's just so much going on with the sound as well that to have it in a cinema would really amplify some of the, mm. the music going on because... There's, there's quite a lot of different music in it and it all kind of goes along with each kind of pacing nice, of the, the, the story, like the really kind of romantic, soft kind of like jazzy moments to the kind mm. of like pounding, like dance music the, in the, the, the club the and everything. Clubs. Yeah, um, That's actually a fantastic point because there are certain lines that are really subtle and almost mumbled and the mix, you lose it a bit in the mix on a, on a laptop. Like even the line, I'm collateral anyway, you barely hear when they come out of the jazz bar. So... I think you're right. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, 
I mean, you, you can watch it and then have a lovely time at home. But I think for me, I'm going to give it a four because I re- would like to see it um, on the cinema again, I think. Yeah, I'm going to jump in with the four as well. It's uh, I think it'd be good to watch in the cinema, but I've, I've only ever watched it at home and I've enjoyed it both times. So, um, but I think the sound, the soundscape, and the sound effects, and the and the and the um, the score would be the things that would augment it for me, rather than the screen experience itself. And I know a lot's been made about the the cinematography here, um, and it being shot on DV, um, and I think that makes it slightly more televisual, but uh, not that doesn't really take away from it at all. Engagement score, David. Um. I'm very engaged by this movie from the very beginning. It, from the moment that Jamie Foxx closes the door of the cab and the music just goes doom, doom. Like the score just like signifies that once he gets into his cab, he's, his cab, he's in his like calm place. And then just like the movie never really releases you from the moment he drives off. I mean, even the first like 10, 15 minutes where it's just him having a delightful ride with uh, Annie, um, just like yeah. Jada Pinkett Smith, we haven't mentioned her very much. Uh, uh, except as a plot device, but like yeah. she's really charming in this story. You really, you really do buy, even though like I don't necessarily know whether a high-powered district attorney would give her number to a cab. She does sell it because there, there's great chemistry between them. And when Tom Cruise gets in the cab, it's almost like if you didn't know from the trailers and whatnot what the movie was going to be, you could have been forgiven for thinking that this was going to be a really interesting LA set ensemble drama about different rides that get into Jamie Foxx's cab. You know, until the, the the body, you know, falls on the car and the, the other shoe literally drops, you know, it um it seems like it's gonna be a different type of film. But it's engaging um even when it changes gears. Like like I, I was engrossed from just learning who Max was, and then when Cruz comes in, it just the badassery gets gets amped up to eleven. I gave it an engagement score of about four point five, uh, because I did have to turn off the movie twice when I watched it to go do something. And um, I think because I now know the plot and because of the fact that there's a lot of scenes in cars and stuff like that, I didn't feel too bad pausing it and going and attending uh, to an errand or whatnot. So, yeah. But then again, I don't think being able to turn off a movie and then come back to it is necessarily a bad thing. It just meant that the movie's really, you know, takes you along in a very cool way and you don't feel lost. You don't feel like you're going to have a problem getting back into it. Like another Michael Mann movie. It's like, if I left halfway through The Insider, I would be completely lost. You know, God forbid I ever do that with, uh, what do you call it, uh, Miami Vice. <laughs> I'd be absolutely lost. I would be, I'd, 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 I'd have to start again. <laughs> well, we've got a new baby in our house and we are absolutely shattered. And I haven't watched an entire film mm. all the way through for, I would say, several weeks. And this is the first time I've watched an entire film in one go. Um, I could, yeah, I just, I couldn't stop it. It just, it just invigorated me. Um, and I, you know, I was watching it on the laptop with my headphones. So all the comments you made about the sound, it was fantastic. In fact, there was one bit, I, the bit where he shoots those, the, the would be mm. muggers. Mm. And it's just this massive, not, not the ridiculous over the top Hollywood gunshots that you often hear. It just, it sounded like shot just ricocheting off buildings in it, you know, mm. in, in a, in the downtown district or wherever they are. The sound was fantastic. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I would have to give it a five. Yeah, I just, it's it's kind of hard because obviously I've seen it recently before this and I was more kind of making notes. But the time before that, after my kind of break and the first time, completely engaged in it, even though um, you, you could, kind of towards the end you can kind of sort of see where it might sort of be going a little bit I think I'm going to give it a five actually um it's really rewarding to kind of pay attention to all the sort of kind of like the bigger details and the smaller details like there's things that like the when the coyote runs across the road which I mm. completely forgotten about happened and there's just like kind of like those really wild moments that if you're kind of looking at your phone you're you're not going to see because they're not like really loud and you're going to miss them and they all kind of add up to everything so yeah bye uh i'm gonna go for five as well uh, i think i think it's mainly as a result of not really remember what how the film plays out um and I think it was right at the start seeing Jason Statham down as I call him. Is Jason Statham in this film? And the answer is no, no. But, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing, that, that kind of interest that, that, that pulled me through as well as, you know, everything we talked about uh, over the past two minutes. 
You could argue it's just just the right yeah. amount of Jason Statham well, I, hey, in the movie, like a drop, a drop. Hey, of the well, state. Hobbs and Shaw may argue differently, uh, and, and other films of that ilk. So that gives us an overall score of five point five six two five, which is which is which is high. It's up there. It's up there. Um, well, thank you very much, guys. We'll just head to Twitter. Um, and everyone who's listening, do follow us on Twitter. We are at FlixWatcherPod. Uh, it's good to follow us anyway because we have a bit of film banter. But generally, uh, before we record, we put a shout out like this. Uh, we're reviewing Collateral with at FilmQuiz and Drumble. <laughs> have you seen it? Tells your thoughts and you score our five stars on our shout out. So you can take part and uh, get your get your reviews read on this podcast um, like the good people here did. Uh, David, do you want to take us off with, with one of the ones you've seen? Yes. Um, so my good friend, uh, Liam H. Dempsey from the Spotlight Pod, uh, says, this is one of man's finest. Its visual style now feels almost completely unique and full of character. Casting Cruz and Fox against type pays off beautifully. Probably the best city at night movie ever. Question mark, exclamation mark, five stars. Uh, Simon, do you want to take, I think it's just one more here, isn't there? So we've got, We've got Matt Brothers, who I definitely recognise from the quiz. Uh, my favourite man, Slick Suspensel, with a brilliant against type cruise. Wish he'd play more baddies. Um, I, I don't disagree with that, as I've said oh, several yeah. times. Totally second that. Massive cruise fan, but I mean, quality and quantity. Uh, I'm sure if he played more baddies, they'd all be awesome. If he just played this one baddie, it's still just a gift. <laughs> and I did uh, nudge him to say, ask how many stars, and he came back with five stars. Uh, Simon and David, can you, can you tell us um, where people can find you online and say goodbye to everyone who's listening? Uh, well, you can find me at, at DRumble uh, on Twitter. And uh, sometimes I talk about my job in animation, but mostly I just flirt with my film co- uh, podcast friends. So um, I look forward to flirting more with FlixWatcher and Bigger Boat uh, in the future. Simon? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at film underscore quiz. Um, me and my colleague Lee J, we both uh, produce and uh, host the quiz when it happens, but I do most of the tweeting. So, yeah, hope to see you on there. Thank you very much, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Cheers. Great fun. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Bye bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K, Wood Audio. Tell them Flix Watcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.